no one doesn't make a mistake. I mean, the more you learn, it, it just it helps you learn and it helps you grow to to struggle. Hey, my name is Felix T, and I'm the host of Shopify Masters, a weekly podcast powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. Each week, we invite entrepreneurs like you to share what they've learned growing successful e-commerce businesses. In this episode, you'll learn how to educate your customers so they're confident to make a purchase, what happened when they got featured on a viral website like The Dodo, and what happened when they did an As Seen on TV commercial. Today, I'm joined by Tyson Walters from Shed Defender. Shed Defender is a lightweight onesie that contains pet hair, reduces anxiety, and can replace the medical cone for your dog. Shed Defender was started in 2016 and based out of Irvine, California. Welcome, Tyson. Hi, how's it going? Good, good. So excited to have you on. So where did the idea behind this uh, this onesie for, for, for your dog come from? You know, everybody always asks that. But if you knew me or if you knew my dog, you would know. So I have a St. Bernard Harley, and she just sheds nonstop. I brush her every day, and still there's hair that comes flying all over the place. So she was the motivation and aspiration behind the whole product. Did you have experience creating before this? Um, no, not at all. Uh, when I it was when I first designed it or even came up with the idea it was about 2010 or 2011, and I was just graduating from college, so I had no background in any of this. Got it. So no background, but you wanted to create this initially for your own self, or did you see like it as a business opportunity uh, before even creating it? You know, it started. I feel like I've always had an entrepreneurial mindset, but it didn't start. It started just to fix this problems mainly in the car. No one wanted to ride in my car. It was a mess, um, and I bring her everywhere too. So it was mainly just to make my life easier and to hear other people complain less because there's always other people complaining about it. So it was mainly just to kind of fix my needs. And then it kind of got bigger and bigger and bigger after that. Got it. Okay. Let's talk about that. And let's talk about you developing this, I guess, initial prototype for your own use case. How did that happen? Uh, so I moved home from college and I had the idea, um, you know, there's nothing on the market. I used everything from blankets in the back seat, but she'd shake, roll down the window and there's hair flying all around. Um, so I actually had my mom start selling the first prototype and a couple months of that, we had the basic idea. And then from there, we eventually, I hired a seamstress off Craigslist and then slowly, but surely we eventually just kept making new prototypes, testing out different fabrics. And it, it, from the first prototype to what it is now, it is drastically different. It's pretty funny. Yeah, so when you were when you hired this seamstress, was that when you were already thinking that there was a business opportunity? Or when did that kind of kick in? Yeah, so it kicked in once once I had the basic first prototype and it kind of worked. I kind of knew I was onto something. So that's when I figured I should probably just take it to the next step because it was it was pretty cheap. I didn't have much money to go on, but I figured why not? My parents were behind me. I told a few friends. And they thought it was a great idea. So that's when I realized it had potential. Um, but I didn't ever realize, at that point, I didn't realize it would be as big as it was until I actually had that kind of final working prototype. And then I realized, like, this could be a game changer. Got it. So when you were testing the market, what were you doing? How did you determine that other people saw the value like, like you did? 
Um, you know, it's mainly one of those stories. I'd use it whenever I had people over. So I live with my parents, actually, and my mom hates the hair. So she would make Harley wear it all the time. And when their friends came over, my friends came over, they asked, you know, what is it? Because everybody sees it and nobody knows what it is. You know, a dog in a onesie, they're not too sure what's going on. Um, and so once I explained the benefits, everybody was, you know, always like, oh, my God, I want one for my dog. So it's just like family and friends, right? Take her to the dog park or walks. And everybody would, you know, ask what it was. So it was one of those things where I was like, okay, I can start making a couple for some friends and family members and kind of see where this goes. Right. Okay. So you were going through these iterations of prototypes uh, throughout this process. And what were you trying to solve? Like, what were the issues that were coming up that you, that needed for further iterations? For the use case for the product? Well, just because you mentioned that uh, you, you did the, f the first prototype compared to what you have now is vastly different. Like, what were some things that you discovered along the way that you had to keep on improving? Um, you know, mainly it's hard to fit dogs because one, every dog is different shape. So, I mean, as of now, we have nine sizes and that still doesn't fit every dog. So we use my dog as the base, um, the model, and then graded the sizes down. But it was it's tough. You know, the back legs have to fit right. The front legs have to fit right. And we have a zipper that runs from the chest all the way down to the tail. So it's easy to get on and off. Um, so we, we use buttons, we use Velcro, um, you know, we finally chose on the zipper. That was the best bet. Um, a lot of different variations. And then the main thing, once we got down to kind of getting the sizes and everything was the fabric, we wanted to pick a fabric with the main goal is not to make the dog hot cause they're fully covered. So we wanted to make it safe and comfortable. So we played around with probably 20, 30 different fabrics from mesh netting, to you know all the way to cotton to this and we ended up uh using this athletic mesh fabric that ended up now is kind of our proprietary blend called shed techs and it's actually eco-friendly recycled fabric so it's um, it's made from recycled plastic water bottles recycled polyester and spandex so um it's ultra premium lasting durable when you get it from one of the like biggest manufacturers who make athletic uh materials Mm. So between the, the first prototype and then what you would consider a final prototype before you were able to or, or ready to go to market, how did you know that you had something that was ready for, for market? I mean, other than the sizing, which you mentioned that the, even at nine sizes is not enough to fit every dog. But other than that, like, how did you know you had something that was ready to go? Um, I mean, once it finally, you know, fit all the dogs, I knew some people had interest. Um it worked. I would show vets. So I was comfortable that it was, you know, safe and comfortable. Um, and I didn't really know for sure it was going to go anywhere. Um, you know, I would go to animal shelters and actually try it on the dogs for fittings and sizings. But, you know, once the dogs tolerate it, once I knew it worked, that's when I started kind of advertising on Facebook. I did about $5 a month. And that's when I was just trying to get interest and see if people, you know, would actually buy it. And, that's when it kind of went from there. So is that where you got the first sales outside of like, I guess, people that you knew yourself? Was it through Facebook ads? Uh, yeah, correct. So Facebook ads. And so I get a lot of comments and a lot of feedback from those ads. But, you know, I'd probably sell, I think it was online, I'd probably sell about two to three a month. So I just had one seamstress who could make them, you know, as the orders came in. And that's how we operated. It was more of a passion project, you know, for about a year and a half until 
2016 came up. I got it. So you were getting lots of comments and feedback throughout this. Was it things that were informing the product or informing the marketing? Like what, what kind of data did you get from these, uh, these ads? It was mostly people not knowing what it was. Um, and at first we had a lot of backlash because people thought it was a permanent solution. Um, people thought you put it on your dog and leave it forever so your dog doesn't shed. So there's a lot of negative comments, people being pretty mean and trolling, not understanding that it's situational use um, and things like that. So it took a while to get over that and get the messaging right to come across to the customer. In 2016, you mentioned that this was when things started to to turn around and go from just a passion project. Can you say more about that? Like, what did you see or experience at that time that 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 really took things off? The one thing that took off, it pretty much went viral overnight. Um, one person wanted to do a review. They were from the Dodo, and they do Facebook and Instagram. They're all about pets and animals. And he wanted to do a review on it. And he said, they usually don't do, you know, reviews on products because that's not kind of what they want. They don't like to promote mm -hmm. stuff. But he said it was such an eye-catching thing. Uh, he's never seen anything like it before. You know, he wanted to write an article about it. And, you know, I didn't think anything of it. And I said, yeah, go ahead. You know, you can do it. And so the next day he launched it at about, I think it was October 5th, 2016. And as soon as it went up, there were orders left and right. I'm used to getting in two or three orders a month and my phone just kept dinging and dinging and dinging every time I got a sale. So that's when I knew like, this is really going. It was quite an experience. <laughs> well, do you remember how many sales you got out of that first kind of vir viral boost? <sighs> you know, because from there, it just kept getting bigger and bigger. So after that, the Daily Mail picked it, picked it up um, so I was in the newspaper in the UK, you know, like us inventor creates dog onesie. Um, I was getting, I was on a New Zealand radio station the next day they called and they were all about it. Um, and then it just article after article came out. So that went, I mean, I had a thousand orders within about a month from all that. And I had a seamstress who could only make about five a day. So I was in some need of some manufacturing and doing it quickly. <laughs> yeah, I can see how that could be exciting on one end, but also very scary, like what am I going to do kind of success hitting you out of nowhere. So what did you do? How did you respond to this huge spike in sales? Yeah, I was definitely not ready for it. So it was the most exciting time probably in my life until I sat back and realized it would take about a year for my seamstress to make all these. Mm -hmm. So I did have some contacts that I'd made in San Francisco in manufacturing. So I called them up and, you know, the second day, the next day I went down to San Francisco, met with a manufacturer, um, turned out to be really great. So, you know, I told them, I was like, I need probably, I think ordered like 2,500 of these immediately. So... I had to order the fabric. We had to do some more patterns, <sighs> pattern making. We had to get everything in order. But at that point, these orders kept coming in. So I had to email every single customer saying, please wait. We're just back ordered a little bit. Um, and so it took about two months to get all the orders fulfilled, maybe two and a half months. So people had waited a long time. We had my seamstress making as many as she could, and then I had my manufacturer in San Francisco making that many, but it was it was not easy to deal with. 
because I just was not prepared for this to go viral. Yeah. So when you were emailing your customers, like what kind of, how, like how, how was that received? You know, they actually took it pretty well. Um, lucky enough for me, it's not like they could just go somewhere else because there's no other products in the world like it. So there was really no other alternative, but most of the time, you know, I responded, this is just a family owned company. We're small. We received a lot of orders. So I explained it, you know, well, and most people took it really well. Some people waited up to three months to get their order. Um, there are also other people who are angry and, you know, we definitely did quite a bit of returns and everything, but for the most part, people were just excited to get it and wanted it bad enough to sit around and wait. Got it. So when you were, when you first got this picked up by the Dodo and then you mentioned, uh, Daily Mail also picked you up and then you're on the, on a radio station, like, was it just constant kind of PR after that to, to extend this virality or like, how did you, uh, keep it going essentially? Yeah. You know, it's funny. It was just me. So I didn't really do anything. It just kept, people just kept sharing it and sharing it. So then the Dodo did a video and next thing you know, that the next month in November, and then that video gets 10, 15 million views. And then next I'm on what Good Day Sacramento. And what else was there? Quite a bit of other things. So it was all just kept going and going without me even having to, uh, you know, I wasn't even running ads at that point. It just was completely on its own. So you you didn't, you, you yourself didn't have to make these appearances. They were just like telling the story of your product and you? Um, for the most part. Good Day Sacramento, I went on TV for that one. Some of the radio stations I did. But other than that, yeah, people just wanted to make videos. They'd ask for my permission to do videos and it just kept going and going and going. Other than like this, this obviously the amazing amount of sales that came out of this, does that open other doors for you when you are kind of you're being published everywhere? Um, in what regards? I guess it, did it make it easier for you to kind uh, of get get additional mentions later if you wanted to reach to reach another publication, or did you? I guess well, what kind of perks come with I guess going viral other than the, the sales? Um, you know, other than just other people seeing it and wanting to pick up on it and do an article, there's not a whole lot because, you know, once it's over, it's over. So sometimes you got to write it while it's there and then it kind of just goes away. Um, you know, 15 million views is awesome for about a month and then people kind of move on to the next thing. So it's something I thought I could kind of count on. And then, you know, cause this happened for a good year and a half of all this publicity. Um, but afterwards, you just got to really focus on the business and the business aspect and then advertising and marketing on your own. Right. So do you remember the day that it has happened kind of drastically where things just started to dry up or was it more gradual than that? Um, it probably started in February of that. Of, so 2017 is when, you know, the buzz kind of goes down, um, you know, sales dropped a little bit. Um, but that's when I kind of started doing some Facebook ads and kind of, you know, engineering myself to bring in those leads myself. Um, but then before you know it, Buzzfeed did an article in June 
And that video got about 15 million hits. So it's, it just kept going and going for the longest time. But then after about a month, you would, it would, it would dry up and then you have to go start doing your own, you know, grassroots campaign. Right. Did you feel like, I mean, what was your, what was your feeling at that time? Cause I could imagine if you're banking on this and then all of a sudden it goes away, even though it came back a little bit after, but that moment, that day where you realize like, oh, I can't actually bank on this. You must have felt like, oh crap, can I repeat this? Can I repeat the success or am I just going to, you know, my sales is going to dwindle, my company's going to close down. Did you feel any of that kind of anxiety? Um, not to that point because sales were still were steady. I mean, they were a lot smaller in those periods. However, it never got to a point that it was completely stale and I was worried about the business. Um, but it took about a good year to realize I can't count on it. You know, it's, but I was never worried it was going to, the business was going to like completely just stop. Um, but I realized I had to kind of start taking things into my own hands and going from there. Right. So did you have the game plan at that time already, or did you kind of have some downtime in or trying to figure out what was next and then came across Facebook ads? Um, I kind of knew Facebook ads was going to be our best bet. Uh, you get the best. A lot of people love sharing our product. It's one of those, it's eye-catching. People think it's funny. They ask questions. So I think that's definitely our best platform. Uh, we did even mess around with uh, As Seen on TV commercial, and that ended up being a huge bust. Um, so we kind of learned the hard way at times and then figured our bread and butter was was Facebook ads. You mentioned the the as seen on TV commercial. This is actually like a commercial that you had created for 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 TV. Yeah, I was an infomercial. I'm gonna leave out all the the background information. It was somewhat of a scam with this one company. Um, but yeah, so they did an infomercial, and then it airs so many times. But you know, there's certain things they don't tell you that you need to put a lot of money into TV campaigns and this and that. So it ended up kind of being a, a waste of money. And then realizing we kind of realized how our products sold is it's not necessarily real impulse buy. people that kind of have to be educated on it. They don't know what it is. Um, also you have to measure your dog. So we kind of realized it wasn't a good fit for TV where someone sees it and they order it right away. There's a little bit of a thought process that goes along with it. So um, Facebook ads is better because we can get it to them, engage them, retarget them, and kind of go through that uh, funnel. Right. That that makes a lot of sense that if you are to run a commercial like that, you do want something that doesn't require much more explanation than what happens in just that 15 or 30 seconds of commercial time. Uh, so when you are going through this process of educating your your customer, what, what, what helps you? Like, How do you make sure that they are informed enough to feel confident to make a, a purchase? I mean, that's still something we struggle with to this day. We've gotten a lot better with it. Um, we have a lot of more, we have more credibility now. Um, after being on, you know, these shows, we work with a vet out of Philadelphia who makes sure the product is safe. Um, so that helps. And then just spreading the message in our ads and telling more of a story um, illustrating things better on our website. There's a lot of different ways to go about it, but um, it still comes with explanation, but they custom people are starting to get the idea. And we also have other case uses that we can tell them too, because 
when I first created the product, it was just for shedding. But after we started selling a lot of these, people kept saying it helped with anxiety. So we started to explain that aspect. And then we had a lot of vets. We wanted to sell it to replace the medical cones. So that's one big push we're going through this year. So explaining like this many use cases is just hard to get it in to one little ad. Um, so we're, we're still trying to get the message across, but people are retaining it a lot better. What, what do these ads look like once that one's first getting exposed to uh, the product for the first time? Like how do you, what was the message that you want to get across? Um, so the first and foremost we get, obviously a good picture is always good because that's going to be the first thing that someone kind of, it, it hits them and they want to know what it is. So we emphasize the shedding um, and then we kind of have different ads. Some are kind of fun and quirky. Some are more just informational. Some give a background to the story. Uh, so we want to give, you know, we kind of state the problem and then that we have the solution. Um, and then as it funnels down with, you know, engagement and retargeting ads, we can kind of get a little more specific. Um, but mainly just... Showing the product is one of the biggest things is people enjoy seeing a dog in a onesie and then they're kind of interested in looking. So the shock factor is good. So they click and then hopefully our website can explain enough to them to actually convert them. Got it. So the shock factor to hook them to to get to your website to explain more. And then you mentioned uh, you can get more specific in in uh, in your retargeting ads. I think this is an important topic because there are other listeners out there that have products that do require explanation. Uh, but the way that you're telling me, it sounds like you guys are not just educating in the ad and on the site, but you're educating in the follow-up ads and the retargeting. Can you say more about what you mean by getting more specific? Like what kind of things do you try to cover as you get more specific? Yeah, so with the retargeting, it's nice. So we know they've been to the website or at least engaged in the ad. Um, so from there, we either... Because retargeting is actually one of our best assets because people come back. Usually it takes two visits for a person to buy the product, typically. Um, and so we just give another either benefits or think of a question that they might have been thinking to throw it out there. Um, another picture, anything to give them a different look at it and, you know, to, to bring them back is, is important to us. And then hopefully we capture their email for abandoned carts. We can get them that way, give them discounts um, or whatever way we think we can convert them. God, it makes sense. When it comes to um, to the, the pricing, I, I think I see here is that's the main the main product that uh, ranging from I guess forty dollars on low end up to sixty dollars for the largest size. Uh, maybe I'm missing the different styles, but basically that's the range. How did you come up with the pricing for your product? Um, you know, I did a lot of. I just at first I pulled friends and family members. You know, how much would you pay for you know a product that did this? And kind of got a general idea. And then once I kind of had pricing from my manufacturer and how much I knew it costs, I stuck with that. Um, and so it's based on sizes for us because the mini, the fabric is one of the most expensive parts of the product. And from the mini, it uses, I mean, a fraction of the fabric of like our biggest size, the giant size does. So we had to scale it appropriately. But um, it works out. It actually works great with our margins. And it's, it's tough 
you know, and I always figured I, it's always better, I believe, to definitely start higher and go down than start low and realize you're not making the margins and go up. So I left some wiggle room, but in the end, I feel like it's uh, fairly priced for some a product that's going to last a while and give you actually, you know, a real benefit, you know, compared to just normal dog apparel or something else. I think it's, it's well worth the purchase. Uh, okay, so you, I want to go jump back to the education because I think this is a, a, a important topic. So, what were some of the main questions that uh, people had when they first, or I guess people have when they first come to your your site or first learn about the product? One at first, people would always ask, "Does the dog does it make the dog hot?" That was that's the number one question because they see the dogs fully covered. Um, and so those are the, you know, something we address immediately, but the fabrics, you know, lightweight, breathable, athletic mesh doesn't retain much heat. So they stay cool and comfortable in it. So that was, that's the main question they have. Um, and then, you know, to say we, we work with the vet, try and get any credible factors we have, you know, it's been ran across many vets. They actually recommend it now. Um, and we put that wording out there. So a lot of people see that now and the question has, definitely uh subsided quite a bit um so how do you answer that that question about about does it make the dog hot like is it just wording on the website or what are some ways that work well to to explain questions that your answer that your customer might might have um yeah wording on the website um you know and like i said just having we have a little um you know our vet has a little testimonial on it too explaining this and then explaining the fabric, what it is, the composition, so the customer understands that, you know, we created it with this fabric so the dog doesn't get hot. Um, you know, it's also for the shedding, so it's the dogs are supposed to more or less wear it in the house, the car, inside, not outside in 100-degree weather. So explaining the uses and why it's used um, helped with that as well. You've experimented a lot and have made mistakes along the way. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Like, what are some of the mistakes that you guys have made and learned from? Um, in regards to any mistakes? Uh, well, it's, I guess particularly with Facebook ads first. Oh, um, one thing you definitely can't expect to see return on ad spend immediately. Um, you know, it takes time. You have to learn what your audience is, you have to learn if they're converting. There's a lot of different aspects, so it's time. You have to be patient with it. Uh, second, also, is you can't just throw a bunch of money out there thinking you're going to make money in advertising. Sometimes it looked like, oh, I get all these clicks, or I didn't understand you know, Facebook ads exactly of conversion rates and this and that. So I just throw a bunch of money out there thinking you know, more traffic is more you know, money coming in. But without a good conversion rate, you're just wasting that money. So finding qualified traffic is definitely the key to Facebook ads. I got it. So you, it sounds like a lot of it is around like patience as well. How do you, when when you are launching these uh, these campaigns, uh, how do you? I guess, measure or determine who is your your audience, especially early on for you? How did you determine, what were you doing, I guess, to learn about who is really your customer? Yeah, that's a good question because I didn't really know who was going to buy it. Um, so one good thing, Google Analytics really lays everything out for you. Um, so after kind of analyzing that, you know, for us, we learned it's almost 75% of our clients are women or customers. Um 
And, and then from there, um, you kind of look at like what sells best, um, sizing too. So you have to kind of cater to that. So Google analytics helped us with that. So a lot of our ads, a lot of our stuff, we kind of realized, okay, if, if women are the main buyers, you know, let's, um, you know, give them something that they can kind of respond well to and not necessarily, sometimes we don't even advertise the men for certain stuff, but it's still good to keep, uh, everyone involved, but we just have emphasis on, you know, putting it in front of more women. Oh God, it's still like 75% of the, the people that are visiting and I'm assuming well, that are purchasing. purchasing. Well, actually visiting and purchasing, it kind of, it actually is, the ratio stays the same. Got it. It's an important point though, that people that might be visiting might be, you know, might be 50-50, but then if the women are the ones that are purchasing and and then the data have a sustainable business is about who's making the purchases, you want to focus on advertising to women. So when with that in mind, what does that mean? Does that mean like showing more women with dogs in your ads? Like how does that actually play out? Yeah, so sometimes it could be a color thing. Um, you know, in our ads, we might have a certain color print in there or, you know, have... Yeah, a woman in the ad. Um, we know we haven't gotten too specific with that because we don't want to necessarily leave out men because now we know it's a market that it could be growing or we could try and capture that audience too. Um, but just whatever we do, we kind of think even the website and everything, sometimes we keep in mind that knowing 75% are women, it's something to always keep in the back of our mind. So it's one of those things where you kind of have to go into it, into it knowing that you're going to lose money, but to to learn, just kind of spend money on men and women at first and then find out that, okay, we probably should not spend as much or maybe at all on targeting men because they're not buying as much, uh, they're not converting as well as women. So you is that a part of it too, just kind of having that patience and being willing to lose some money at first? Um, slightly. I mean, you have to, you have to have, you know, your test phase of knowing exactly who your customers are and, you know, who your best converters are as well. So the age goes with it too. Our best, our best age group, our bread and butter is between 25, 25 to uh, 45 around those numbers. So we stick to that too. Anything younger, you know, they don't really convert. And then, so we put, if anything, our more specific targeted ads in that age range, put more emphasis on that if we can. Got it. So I think um, what you're alluding, alluding to earlier was that there have been other mistakes, obviously. Anyone that's in business or an entrepreneur has made mistakes. What are some other ones that, that you have made that maybe you might have thought that, oh, this might actually like be pretty impactful to our business? Um... Well, one was the infomercial. Um, that didn't work out that well. Um, the other one, I'm trying to think here. Um, I'll have to think about that. We can get back to that question. Okay, sure. Um, when you do kind of encounter these mistakes or maybe you can think of, the, of a specific one, how do you recommend others that might be making that might've made like a big mistake. How do you recommend that they kind of recover and learn from the mistakes that they've made? That's a good question. One, you just have to figure you're going to make mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes and 
learning from them is actually going to help you grow your business if you if you do it right. Um, one big mistake we had is choosing where to manufacture. Uh, we did a manufacture run when we first went overseas. We did half in China, half in Guatemala. Um, the Guatemala product came back defective. So I had 5,000 units. That was two to three months late and would fall apart. It was a disaster. So luckily, the Chinese product came in and it turned out great. And that's who we stick with. And we've had no issues with them. So you really have to do your due diligence, you know, find out who they've worked with before, find their referrals um, and go through there. But even though, be prepared, be prepared to make a mistake, make sure you have extra money to make up for this. Always have a backup plan, but don't get too down on it because I mean, no one doesn't make a mistake. I mean, the more you learn, it, it just, it helps you learn and it helps you grow to, to struggle. I mean, sometimes you, you get knocked down, you get back up and now, you know, you know, I have to be more diligent in this. I have to really make sure I don't put, you know, all my eggs in one basket. You just have to keep learning and learning. Hey, real quick, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think or what you'd like to hear more of. Now, let's get back to the interview. Got it. So you guys also have made it on, on Shark Tank. So tell us about that experience. How did you guys get on? Um, yeah, Shark Tank was, was great. It was definitely a nerve-wracking experience. So... Uh, we had got reached out to, it was last January, um, and so we ended up, you know, sending in a video and going through the whole process and all that stuff, and uh, we were lucky enough to air last October, um, and so it was great. We got to deal with Lori on, you know, on TV and then eventually we we parted ways. It just we figured for both parties involved, it wasn't a good fit. Um, but it was it was a great experience. We got great exposure. You have great sales for a little bit thereafter, and it's good credibility. So a lot of people see us on Shark Tank. We can say we've been on it, and people are like, oh, that's pretty cool. You guys, you know, must be a legitimate company. So it definitely helps. And I, I know that the the. They might show like five to seven minutes, but the actual pitch lasts much longer than that. Were there any questions that you guys uh, weren't prepared for? Like if anyone out there is going to pitch to investors, are there certain things that you would recommend them really study up on? Um, yeah, you're up there for quite a while and they, you know, cut it down to a short, short time frame. But, um, you know, we were overprepared, which is which is great. Uh, my sister-in-law who does is VP of marketing, she was on us every day to practice, practice, practice. Um, you know, we had friends and family members pretend to be the sharks and go through the whole thing and go through our pitch and ask questions. So we were pretty prepared. Um, so we actually didn't have any questions that we couldn't answer or anything like that. But a lot of other people definitely don't – you have to expect every single question to be asked. Um, it kind of helped us learn our business, too. When you We had to forecast. We had to do this. We had to look at all our numbers and go through everything. So it helped us look back and um, understand the bit, our business a little bit better and our financials. So preparing – I mean, we watched the show and just you know wrote down all the questions they've ever asked. Um, 
I mean, even if you don't think there's a small chance they might ask it, we still looked, found an answer, and we're pre- prepared to go with it. Got it. Cool. So I want to talk a little about the um, the website. So was the website, was that designed in-house? Did you guys hire out for that? Um, so we did a Shopify template. Um, and then I had a friend who pretty much built it for us. We did that. So we had that. I think we started... 2017 of March is when we moved to Shopify and we had that website built. Um, and then we did a little upgrade in 2018. And then now we're actually doing a full rebuild on Shopify, um, completely custom that should launch in June, which we're pretty excited about. So this full rebuild, what kind of changes are you looking to make that, that didn't exist on the current site? functionality um our conversion rate is lower than we want and we kind of believe our website isn't solely responsible but it definitely has a play in it um just to be more friendly um to be easier to navigate um illustrate our points better and just tell our brand story um it's it's okay as it is it's a good website but we kind of want to engage the customer, tell our story, have a theme to it, um, just to have it one cohesive piece and, you know, make sure the mobile aspect is good. You know, most of our customers, like 70 something percent use, you know, visit us from their mobile phones. So, I mean, that's a huge part is making sure everything works. You can quickly order, check out and, you know, have no issues with it. So, that should be a huge help for us, I believe. Got it. So a lot of it is around increasing the conversion rate. And and you mentioned a couple of things. First is a navigation. Uh, but what kind of changes do you want to make here to, to make the navigation easier? Just have everything simple. It's just have a, you know, a couple clicks and you can get it in your cart and purchase and go. Um, you know, when people have to click too many buttons when they have to input too much information just the easier the better it's terrible when you see you have you know a high you have a lot of people who abandon their checkouts you know you have to ask like why what's the point why do they put their go all the way through the checkout process and leave and you know sometimes we look back and go through and it's like you know what there's we ask them to do this there's a little they can't see exactly how much they saved in this, does this coupon work? Just all these little tidbits that someone might say, you know what, screw this. I'll go somewhere else. I'll go on Amazon and buy it. You know, you, there's always something. So, I mean, just, you always got to put yourself in the customer's position and think, you know, would you, would you like how this site is operating? So one thing I noticed on the current site is that the, at the very top, super visible, is a bar that says free shipping and 30-day risk-free trial. What made you guys choose to put those two, two uh, I guess, uh, pieces of messaging so, so prevalent? So two things. So since we do sell on Amazon, um, it's kind of slightly uh, competing against ourselves in a sense, but... You know, we keep the same price, and if Amazon's going to do free shipping, we want to do free, sh- free shipping. Um, I mean, I believe that's a big thing. I personally hate when people charge for shipping, especially it's just, you know, especially if some people charge five, six bucks. You just, 
it's just an expense I don't want to deal with. So I think that lures the customer to us. Also, we want to convince when we first launched, it's still a product of like the person's unsure about it. They've never seen it before. They don't know how it's going to work, this and that. So to convince the customer, you know, we believe in our product. It's a quality product. You will like it. We have to give them every chance and every thought like to make sure they get that purchase. And if not, we send them prepaid postage and, and take it back. It's just the risk we need to do to get brand awareness, get the product out there. Um, we just thought it was an important aspect to do. What about uh, apps? What kind of apps do you use on the website or even off of Shopify that help you run the business? So one of the main things is our review system. Um, I think that's huge. People want to see other dogs in it. They want to hear feedback. You know, does this actually work? It's, you know, all that stuff. It's, we believe it's a big thing. So we use Yotpo for that, and that integrates with Shopify well. Um, the other thing I do, Google shopping, that app works really well. Um, put your product out there on Google so people can see it with a picture and, and all that. And then whatever email, um, service you use, we did use MailChimp, but obviously that relationship has ended with Shopify. So we're actually switching over to a new one. Uh, we have a couple going now. We haven't selected which one we're actually going to use yet. Awesome. So I'll leave you with this last question: Is uh, what what was the what would you say was the biggest lesson that you learned, or that the company or uh, the founders learned from last year that you guys want to make sure you apply this year? Keep making your product better. I mean, one thing I'm a big believer in, like I'm a perfectionist, so you want to make sure your product is perfect. If there's an issue, you fix it. I mean, that goes along with customer service too. The product, if it's good, you're going to have less customers being mad. Um, so we put a huge emphasis on customer service and having our product be perfect. So no matter what, we back up our product. If we ever have any issues, we fix it. Um, and yeah, just pride ourselves on you know our brand and being a good company. Awesome. So thank you so much for your time, Tyson. So sheddefender.com is the website. Again, appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Shopify Masters, the e-commerce podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs powered by Shopify. To get your exclusive 30-day extended trial, visit shopify.com slash masters.